On April 14, 1970, about 56 hours into its mission, the Apollo 13 spacecraft was 210,000 miles from Earth when an accident occurred. The wires connecting to the stirring fan inside oxygen tank number two were insulated with Teflon, and when the fan was turned on, the wires short-circuited and the, uh, there was an ignition, a small explosion. Astronaut Jack Swigert radioed to NASA Mission Control Center, which is located in Houston, Texas, and he said these words, okay, Houston, we've had a problem here. Fortunately and incredibly, NASA was able to get the three astronauts back to Earth safely. What is stuck in the American consciousness from that mission is a slight variation on that very famous phrase uttered at the very beginning of that accident. In fact, when anything goes wrong, even 50 years later, you might hear someone say, Houston, we have a problem. Five years after that space mission, the city of Houston would have some new residents. The mother of a little boy named Perry Jr. would move her kids from North Carolina to Houston's Third Ward, a historic black neighborhood in one of the poorest areas of the city. As Perry grew up, he became a power forward on the Yates High School basketball team, and he helped his high school win a state championship in football as a tight end in 1992. Now, as someone growing up without a father and in a rough environment like, the Houston's, like Houston's Third Ward, you might uh, find that it's no surprise that his life was complicated. Perry made a lot of bad choices over the years, and in fact, as an adult, he was, a, he was sentenced to jail eight times. But bad times don't last forever, and he would begin to turn his life around. When he was paroled in 2013, he became involved with a church named Resurrection Houston. He began to mentor young men. He would tell them, God trumps street culture. And he wanted young men to put down their guns and to take up Jesus. And there's a picture that's going to appear on the screen. If you can see this picture, Perry is the big guy in the back holding up the Bible. Perry delivered meals to people in need. He would help out in any way the church ministered to its community with barbecues and basketball tournaments and public worship services. He would even assist with community baptisms, and he would actually push the tub from the church out to where the community was gathered outside. In 2014, Perry moved to Minneapolis to find work, and given his big size, he ended up being very suited for security work, which is what he usually did. Now, like I mentioned before, he had a, a complicated life. He wasn't the most perfect of saints, and he, he wasn't the worst of sinners either. Like all of us, he was somewhere in between, and like most of us, he made a, a variation of good and bad choices throughout the years and, and on different days. On May 25th of this year, Perry apparently passed a counterfeit $20 bill, and it seemed to some who were there that he might have been intoxicated. The police were called, and, with a matter, and within a matter of minutes, George Perry Floyd Jr. was dead. Within a matter of hours, video of that arrest and death of George Floyd had gone viral on social media. Within a matter of days, protests against police brutality 
were co-opted by a month of lawless, violent actions. Houston, we have a problem. In fact, we have many problems in our country. Lawlessness and police brutality and racism and false accusations and Marxism and anarchism and cultural cancellation and history revisionism and any one of these topics and more could be the topic of a sermon or an entire series of sermons for that matter. I think it'd be most helpful today to simply explore the Bible for a few answers. For in the Bible there is contained not only the ancient wisdom of man learned over thousands of years, but actually God's eternal wisdom. And even if we cannot answer every question that is raised right away, I would hope that by starting with Scripture, we can all be put on the right pathway to which answers can eventually be found. In your Bible, we're going to look at a couple of different passages of Scripture, one in Exodus, another in Leviticus, and uh, one in Ezekiel. And I would invite you to go ahead, if you would, and you can turn to Exodus chapter 20. And as you turn there, let me share with you my goal for this brief message today. My goal is to see if we can determine what God may be doing in a time of racial unrest and upheaval. In other words, is something happening to our country spiritually? And I believe that it is. Again, is there some way for us to join God in what is happening to our country? And I believe, again, that the answer is yes. I believe that there is. You see, I believe, and have believed for many years, actually, that there is a lot of sin that has filled our land. And I believe that now we are seeing the result of that sin. As I mentioned on September 8th of last year in a sermon entitled, One Nation Under Wrath, it has become clear to me that God's wrath is upon our nation. Our nation has told God that we do not want Him in our schools, we do not want Him in our children's lives, we do not want Him in the public square. Our nation has murdered 20% of our own citizenry, people made in the image of God, by aborting those deemed too inconvenient to raise. Our nation has led the entire world now in counterfeiting the first and most important institution that God has created, and that is marriage. By redefining it according to our own parameters and our own standards, as if what God has both declared and created biologically is somehow insufficient. Our nation has sinned in all of these ways, and not only have we failed to repent, but there are people that go so far as to celebrate and to flaunt their atheism and their abortions and their sexual deviancies. It's as if the first chapter of Romans is being played out right before our eyes. Verse 32 of that chapter says, Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You see, until true repentance, based on the kindness of God, is achieved in this country, then the wrath of God will continue. 
And if repentance never comes, God will certainly, and without doubt, destroy this country that we are so privileged to live in. However, there is another sin. It is the original American sin, whose effects have lingered on throughout the decades and centuries, and it is the abomination that we call slavery. Slavery is not the original American sin in the sense that we originated it, no. For many centuries and millennia before America was even a thought, the powerful have enslaved the weak, giving no regard to the fact that all humans are made in the very likeness and image of God. Indeed, slavery was widespread throughout the world before Columbus ever sailed the ocean blue. It is estimated that, uh, for example, Muslims enslaved millions upon millions of people before that event happened in 1492. Then, when the nations of Europe discovered this new world, labor was needed to tame it and to cultivate it. Slavery became a far too easy solution, and Africans became a far too easy target. Much more can be said about the history of slavery in America, but let's just suffice it for now that we conclude that it was a regrettable practice, and much more than a regrettable practice, it was a heinous sin against God himself. For people of every ethnicity and every socioeconomic background are made in the very likeness of God. Black Lives Matter, that's too low a standard. God's standard is that black lives are sacred, as are the lives of every ethnic people. Red and yellow, black and white, we are precious in God's sight. Now, you may be thinking, okay, yeah, Pastor, Slavery in America was, was wrong, it was a sin, a heinous crime against humanity and a crime against God himself, but pastor, all of that was outlawed by the 13th Amendment to the Constitution in 1865, that was 155 years ago, pastor, I don't know how old you think I am, but I wasn't even born by the time that was outlawed. Slavery is settled and done, you might say to me. And I would say to you, settled? Yes. Done? I don't think so. Because I need to tell you something, explain something about sin. You see, when sin occurs, two things result. The first is that someone is culpable for that sin. By culpable, I mean they are guilty of that sin personally, and they will be held accountable by God for that sin personally. Culpability is the first result of sin. In, Levit in Leviticus chapter 16, we, it contains the instructions, and we're not going to read it all today, but you can go back and read this. In Leviticus 16... We have the instructions that Israel was to follow on the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement occurred every year. 
The day of atonement was a day, and the word atonement, by the way, means a covering of the sinner's sins. It is a covering that protects, a covering that forgives. And on the day of atonement, every year, the instructions are that Aaron, the priest, was to sacrifice a bull as a sin offering for himself. For he himself needed to be cleansed before the Lord. He himself was culpable for his own sins against God. And then Aaron, the priest, would sacrifice a goat as a sin offering for the people. For they were culpable for their own sins as well. So culpability, which is direct guilt and accountability before God, is the first thing that occurs or that results when sin occurs. But there is another. There is something else that results that is just as important as understanding our own personal culpability before God. For if culpability were the only thing that resulted from sin, then we could say to God, Hey God, I'm not guilty of kicking you out of the schools. I'm not guilty of kicking you out of our children's lives. I'm not guilty of kicking you out of the public square. I didn't do those things. I'm not personally culpable for that. And we could say to God, God, I'm not guilty of having abortions or performing abortions. I didn't do that, God. I'm not guilty of those things. I didn't do those things. I'm not culpable for that. Or we could say to God, God, I'm not guilty of marrying someone of the same sex. I didn't do that, God. I'm not personally culpable for that. If culpability was the only thing that occurred when sin was done, then we could certainly say to God, God, I'm, I'm obviously not guilty of slavery. I mean, it was so long ago. I didn't do that. I'm not even capable of the possibility of doing that because I'm not that old. That ended a long time before I was even born. I'm not culpable for that, God. However, culpability is not the only result of sin. There is another. Corruption. You see, when sin occurs, it results in spiritual pollution. There comes a contamination, a spiritual infection. It's as if there is a spiritual plague, an invisible pandemic that sweeps the land. And people who have done nothing wrong, are infected. They're not culpable, but they are corrupted. And that's why God gave instructions to Israel on the Day of Atonement regarding another very important practice that occurred that day. You see, on the Day of Atonement, after Aaron sacrificed the bull for the culpability of his own sins, he was to take his fingers and dip it in the blood of the bull, and he was supposed to place it on the horns of the altar on the mercy seat, and he was to spread it, sling it, 
sprinkle it in different places all throughout the tabernacle. The sprinkling of the blood was to cleanse the land of the defilement that remained even after the sacrifice was made for his own guilt. And then Aaron would do the same thing with the blood of the goat. He would take the blood of the goat and he would sprinkle the goat's blood in certain parts of the tabernacle to cleanse the land of the defilement that remained from the people's sin even after the sacrifice was made for their own guilt. Sin not only makes us culpable before God, but it also spiritually corrupts or defiles or pollutes the land. These two realities, culpability for sin and corruption by sin, explains why Ezekiel Chapter 18, verse 20 says, The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity. And yet, in the Ten Commandments, the Lord himself says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, I'm the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me. Now, which is it? Do sins stay with the sinner? Or are they passed down to later generations? There is a sense in which both are true if you understand the difference between culpability and corruption. The sinner is culpable before God, and only the sinner. But the corrupting influence of sin is passed down. The Hebrew word that is translated iniquity is a word that includes not only the sin, but the result of sin. And you see this in Isaiah. Isaiah was a godly man, a godly prophet. Isaiah was not personally guilty of, the, of all of the sins that were committed by the people of his day and by his forefathers. But in Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, listen to what Isaiah says. A holy, a righteous prophet of God. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 64, verse 6. He says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment, and all of us wither like a leaf, and all of our iniquities like the wind take us away. He's painting a picture here that even though he is a holy and godly man, he's become corrupted by the sin of the land. The stench, spiritually, is inescapable. You know, in the New Testament, one of the reasons for church discipline, and so few churches practice church discipline today, but one of the reasons for church discipline is to protect the other members of the congregation from the corruption of the offending member's sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have a case where one man sinned against the Lord. One man was guilty of a sexual sin against the Lord. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. He said, your boasting is not good. What boasting? 
They had reacted to this one man and his incestual sin by saying, Oh, isn't God great? God forgives this man. God's graciousness comes over this man without ever correcting the man's behavior. And so they were completely washing over the actual actions of this man and not holding this man to account to change his behavior. But rather they were boasting that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ could overcome this man's failures. Again, without ever correcting his behavior. And Paul writes to them and he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump just as you are, in fact, unleavened. That leaven represents the sin that is within the church. Paul said, clean it out, or it will corrupt all of you. The entire church was not guilty of the sexual sin of the one man, but his sin corrupted the whole congregation, and they needed to deal with it before the leaven spread. Back in the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, verses 5 and 6, God says that He will visit the descendants. And when God says He will visit the descendants, He means that He will bring them the results of His covenant. The Lord says, You shall not worship other gods or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But, as God continues, he says, showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. See, when you see the coronavirus pandemic and the stoppage of America's favorite religion, which is sports, and the seemingly overnight economic depression and the double-digit unemployment and the racial unrest and the lawlessness and the restrictions on our liberties, and you ask me the question, where is God? I would answer, you've answered the question yourself. He is visiting the iniquity of our forefathers on their children. This is what it looks like when God visits the iniquity of the forefathers on their children. And personally, I don't believe he is finished. What if these are just the beginnings of birth pangs? What if what follows makes us yearn for the good old days of the coronavirus and racial unrest. You might say, well, I don't want God to visit us anymore in His wrath. I, wa I want Him to visit us in His mercy. I want to Him to show us loving kindness. Well, if that's indeed what we want, then we must confess our sins and the sins of our forefathers to him. 
Now, did you commit the sins of your forefathers? Are you culpable for their sins? Perhaps not, but I would say to you that our entire nation is corrupted by them. The sin of the death of George Floyd had an immediate corrupting influence on this entire nation. We all felt it, but we didn't do it. But we could feel the corruption. The sin of the lawless rioters and the anarchists and the Marxists seeking to destroy our country has had an immediate corrupting influence on this nation. We all sense it, but we're not guilty of it. And I would say to you that the sins of years and decades and centuries past have had a corrupting influence on this entire nation. We might not be culpable for counterfeiting marriage and for abortion and for asking God to restrict himself to Sunday mornings and a few select buildings. Or we might not be culpable for the, our original sin of slavery, but I'd say we're corrupted by it. What do we do? Daniel 9 shows us what to do. In Daniel 9, Daniel prays to the Lord and he says these words in verses 8 through 14. He says, Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us, along with the oath, which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done to Jerusalem, as it is written in the law of Moses. All this calamity has come on us. And yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to our, your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done. But we have not obeyed his voice. Likewise, Ezra chapter 9. Ezra had torn his garment, he tore his robe, he fell on his knees and he cried out, Oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens since the days of our fathers to this day. We have been in great guilt. And on account of our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been given into the, land of, into the hand of the kings of the lands, to the sword, to captivity, and to plunder, and to open shame as it is to this day. Listen carefully to God's instructions in Leviticus chapter 26 through 42. 
God says, but if, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they have committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. Our nation, for quite some time, has been walking contrary to God. And God is now walking contrary to us. And if we think that we can win that battle, we are sorely mistaken. God will not be mocked. He will put an end to this thing one way or another through His mercy or through His wrath. He will see it through to the end. God tells us what to do. We must confess our own and our forefathers' sins to him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, there are so many things that we look upon our nation and we're very quick to say, well, that's not my problem, that's not my fault, that's not my doing. And indeed, on the surface, that is correct. For we try to live a, a godly, quiet life before you. And yet the corruption that has filled this land has corrupted all of us. We confess to you, God. that we have counterfeited marriage at no small cost to ourselves. Forgive us, God. We confess to you that we have engaged in the taking of human life through abortion and that the blood of some 70 million children cry out to you. Forgive us, Lord. We confess, Father, that many years ago, we kicked you out of the public schools, we kicked you out of our children's lives, and we have systematically been trying to restrict your presence to some private property just a few hours per week. 
when the whole world is yours. We ask for your forgiveness. And Father, since the founding of our country and even before, our forefathers found themselves in a system that may have predated them, a system that wanted cheap labor. And Father, that sin of slavery was wrong. It was wrong from the outset, and it remains wrong today. We ask your forgiveness for that, Father. We confess these things to you. We ask you, Lord, to forgive us, to make your presence known and your mercies throughout this land. Help us live according to your righteousness and let us be sons and daughters of peace everywhere we go. We pray, Lord, that your spirit, your salvation, would begin to spread just like the judgment has spread throughout our nation. When solutions are found, let people give glory to you. And Father, I pray that there would be a, a great repentance and an awakening that would happen in our land. Father, regardless of how things turn out, I pray that you would allow your people and encourage and strengthen and empower your people to remain faithful to you. For it's in your precious Son's name that we pray. Amen.